This is the second general session of our first ever Zoom uh, conference and convention. So welcome back, everybody. We have what should be a uh, hopefully fun and very interesting evening. Uh, the first thing that we have on our agenda tonight is... You should probably introduce yourself, Oops. Mr. Chairman. I should. I'm sorry. I totally blanked on that. Uh, this is Gabe Griffith. I am the first vice president of the California Council of the Blind and uh, apparently losing my mind and forgetting who I am. Um, and I will be your presiding officer for this evening. All right. Anything else I'm forgetting, Judy? Not that I No. Oh, it's so good. To, so much fun to correct you. I know. I know. <laughs> You're, you're getting warmed up and getting practice. Yes. <laughs> um, I guess just one little note for anyone that hasn't seen it. We did resend the, uh, in case anyone maybe is listening on ACB radio, but would like to listen on Zoom to participate, especially tomorrow. We did resend the Zoom info to everyone that registered for the convention. So uh, you should have that information if you want or need it. All right. And uh, I think that was everything that I could think of or have forgotten. So moving on, I'd like to or, uh, welcome our first speaker for this evening. It is, uh, we have Cindy Hollis, who is going to, she is the ACB Membership Services Coordinator and Cindy started with ACB, I believe, was it early February or so, Cindy? And June 10th uh, of last year. Oh, was it that I long know. ago? Mm -hmm. It seems like it was a lot longer, but uh, or a lot sooner. Um, so we are happy to have Cindy with us. And unfortunately, she couldn't be with us live, but she is with us on Zoom. I'm and still live. So we thank you. <laughs> well, in person, <laughs> live and in person. Um, since we didn't, didn't have an in-person convention, um, but we are thankful that she is joining us. It's later in the evening, and so that's why we're starting our program with her tonight. Uh, and uh, Cindy, for the last several months, has coordinated, I would guess, somewhere about 3 million different Zoom <laughs> calls. Something like that, yeah. And uh, I had the pleasure of being able to work with her on a couple of the gaming labs that she did so for anyone that heard those those were a lot of fun and uh cindy welcome uh and i understand you're going to talk to us about membership growth and retention so welcome and thank you away. all right so i think the actual uh title was something around building blocks for a stronger chapter and I am going to talk with you tonight, and if anybody has heard me speak about membership previously, you no doubtedly heard three key words I like to emphasize, and that is embrace, engage, empower, and so those are the three building blocks that I would like us to consider tonight. And I will be adding a fourth one in, which I think will help put all of this into action. When I go to a meeting, 
I, especially if I've never been there before, and if I go alone, it can be a little uncomfortable, a little daunting, especially if I don't know a lot of people or don't know anyone. And without being able to see, I really am waiting for somebody to find me. And then when we have a room where most everyone can't see, that's a little bit more challenging. So the first E that I'm referring to is embrace. And how do we embrace somebody that's visiting our chapter? And of course, I'm thinking about in person, but to some degree, this also can be played out in our Zoom calls as well. But I want to talk about when you get to go back into in-person meetings. Do you have a plan in place as a chapter for how you make and welcome uh, guests who are visiting your chapter for the first or second or third time? If the answer is no, you don't actually have a plan, you kind of just fly by the seat of your pants, I want to uh, emphasize how important it is to actually have a plan in place. Because we don't see the people that are coming into the room, and we often end up clustering with the people that we know. We sit at the tables. If there's tables, we sit near people we know. We, you know, we sit near our friends. We hear somebody we recognize. We ask them to sit next to us or across from us. We find them a seat. But too often, somebody may come and visit, and they sit by themselves, and nobody may talk to them. So that's the first thing. We want to remove that barrier that we automatically have when we can't see one another and make sure that we make people feel welcome. And I know some of the things I'm going to talk about may feel like no-brainer stuff, but really if we are not paying attention to it, it's really easy to overlook some of this. It's not much different on a Zoom call. If somebody were to visit us on our Zoom call, and we have this happen a lot, Gabe made mention of the fact that we're doing a lot of community calls at the ACB level. We're holding about 50 a week now. And they range anywhere from social to topic-driven. And social is a little less formal, and many of the topic-driven are more formal. But when we have somebody new that asks a question or introduces themselves, we try really hard to acknowledge that we recognize that they're there for their first time or maybe we haven't seen them there before because, you know, I'm not in every meeting or whoever's facilitating is not there for every meeting. So they might ask, you know, are you new? And it's just a way of acknowledging and trying to make somebody feel welcome. And so that's the first thing. I just want to really encourage you that we we make people feel welcome and we embrace. And I was looking up the meaning of embrace. And, well, first it said embrace means like a warm hug, uh, you know, pulling somebody close, wrapping your arms around them. Now, I don't know about any of you, but, man, I wish I could have one of those warm hugs right now. I so miss a hug. But we can find other ways to embrace because it also says to encircle and to include and involve. So 
embrace can mean all of those things. And uh, it is our first step to really getting that connection going with a new member. The next letter E word is engage. And engage is really a vital part of chapter retention as well as chapter growth. So I really believe that the most important piece of membership growth is retention. If we can keep the members we have, then as we get new members, we actually are growing. Too often we lose members. And so when we gain members, it's a wash if we're lucky. And, you know, if we want, if we want us to actually grow for that number to move upward, we need to retain the members we have. And there's a lot of studies that go into, you know, businesses on how they can maintain or retain their clientele. They aren't just trying to get new business. They want to retain the business that they have. And so as chapters and as an, a state affiliate, we want to make sure that we're doing that as well. And the way that we do that is to learn about our members and to find a way to get them connected to our organization. And that is through engagement. We need to find out where their interests lie. We need to find out a little bit about their lives. How long have they been blind? Do they live alone? Are they new to the area? Are they older? Are they younger? Are they a student? Are they working? What kind of struggles do they face? What are their strengths? What would they like to learn? What do they need to have more knowledge about? If they're newly blind, there's probably a lot of things that they need more knowledge on. And so we have to find a way to connect with our members and find out what is of interest to them, what drives them, and give them purpose in our chapter. Uh, I believe that it's not enough to come to a meeting once a month. We need to find a way to engage our membership beyond once a month. We need to find ways to engage our membership weekly at, at minimum. And it might be through an email list or a Facebook group or some other social mechanism. It might be through meetups, uh, social events, going bowling, to the movies, a game night. So it might be something in person when that's possible. It might be an occasional phone call from your membership committee or, uh, or your leadership or a phone committee however you do it, but reaching out in several different ways is going to help engage your membership. And I believe that a chapter should at least do a calling campaign once a year to uh, help that engagement along. So we can't just rely on social media and we can't just rely on an email list. Email lists and even an email is one-way communication until somebody responds to you.
A phone call, however, especially if you get somebody on the other end, is two-way communication. And that truly is when engagement takes place. So a calling campaign could look like calling people at the first of the year and letting them know how glad you are that they've been a member for the last year, letting them know that dues is due for this next year and that, you know, you'd, you'd like to see them continue in the organization and maybe asking them a question like, if, if we would have a speaker come to our chapter meetings this, this, throughout this year, is there a topic you'd like us to address? Or maybe you're going to be holding conference calls because I believe that this is not something that's going to go away. Zoom or something like it is going to probably stay in our lives for a long time to come. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. So maybe your chapter may want to have a Zoom meeting in between your regular face-to-face meetings. So maybe halfway through the month and you have a specific topic-driven discussion. And so you could ask those members that you call, what is it that they're interested in? What do they want to know more about? Or here's one even better. Is there a topic area that they have a lot of knowledge about that they would like to share with the rest of the members? So by making that connection over the phone, we can actually engage and learn about our members, which is vital to the growth and retention of your chapter. So once we've learned about our members and we learn what drives them, we learn their interests, we learn, you know, what, why they are even coming, why are they involved in our chapter, that's when we need to empower them. So empower is really giving somebody power, but we don't just say, here's the keys to the car. Uh, Well, none of us are going to drive the car, but an analogy, we don't give somebody the keys to the, to a car and say drive. People that drive actually go through driving school. They, they have hours with somebody who is over a certain age and has driven and can give some guidance. And eventually, they kind of earn their wings or their driver's license and they're on their own. And even then, they are still likely to reach out and need some guidance uh, from time to time. And so when we empower somebody We want to make sure that we're giving them the tools that they need to be successful behind the wheel of the committee or of the office that they're being elected or of the task that we're asking them to fulfill. So empowering is a really important tool because it's not just a word. It's a great word, but if we don't put the oomph Behind it, it's meaningless. And when we empower somebody, we want to make sure that we're giving them a a matching their skill set with the task at hand so that they can be successful. One of the biggest struggles organizations have is when somebody has been in a leadership role for a long time. And they either are asked to give that role up 
and to move on to something else and have somebody else step in that spot or maybe they're not asked there the constitution requires that they step down because of term limits and such um and no matter what the reason somebody steps down from a position and somebody new steps in that becomes a really challenging uh moment in time for leadership and of course it's great when a, a leader can leave their post with grace and be prepared to offer support and empower the next person but unfortunately that doesn't always happen and so whoever is the president needs to make sure that they are providing that at the committee level and that there's a plan in place for making sure that there's mentors or someone who's going to come alongside and assist someone in their new endeavor because it only benefits the organization if you set someone up for success and if someone is struggling with letting go one if it's you you need to ask yourself why am i struggling to let go why am i not able to assist in empowering the next person and it may be because i'm in it too much for me and not for the organization so sometimes we need a good friend that's willing to have those tough conversations with whoever it is that might be struggling there but it is for the betterment of the organization to move forward and empowering is what does that so embrace engage empower and you know when i talk about skill set and putting somebody into a leadership role leadership roles can be at all different levels it can be electing an an officer such as president or secretary or it could be you know taking on a new project joining a committee or maybe even chairing a committee no matter what it is as an organization we want to make sure we're putting the right people into the right seats we want to make sure we're matching the skill set with the person and vice versa and you know it only benefits us if we have the right people in in those seats if we don't it's going to hurt us as an organization so when you go to elect people in your chapters you want to make sure you're electing the right people in the right seats the fourth e i want to talk about is effort so i give you tools of embrace engage empower and those are tools and i talked about how you can enact those three those three concepts or things but if when i'm done here tonight you say oh those are really good ideas and yeah we really need to focus on them more but then you take those tools and you set them in the toolbox and close the toolbox and don't think about it for the next 6 months the tools they're just in the toolbox and they're not helping you at all 
So the fourth E is effort. And I want to challenge each of you to actively consider and think about those tools, not just today and not just tomorrow and not just over the next several days, but I want you to think of them even outside of your regular meeting. Get your leadership together to talk about a plan. Embrace, engage, empower is not just for your current members. It's for each new member that you bring in to your chapter. If you come up with a plan for these, to utilize these three tools, they will transfer to every new member you bring in or every potential member that visits you, that touches your organization. Because when all is said and done, it is about connection. And connection is touch. So as people visit your chapter, if they join you on a, in a Zoom meeting in some way, you want to make sure you're exercising those three E's. You're bringing the tools out and you're prepared to do that. In, in, embrace, engage, empower, and the effort of using those three tools will build your chapter to excellence. And I don't know if uh, you would like me to entertain any questions, but I would be happy to if anybody wanted to ask questions. I think we still have just a few minutes, Gabe. So I'll leave that to you. Yes. Um... Let's see what time do we have? It's yeah, we definitely have time. After, so we, yeah, yeah, we have a good 10, 15 minutes for for questions. So if anybody has any questions for Cindy, uh, please raise your hand and we will have Brandon tell us uh, who has their hand raised and we'll be able to call on you in the order of the hands raised. So, Brandon, do you want to explain how to raise hands? Um, sure. Gosh. Um, <laughs> to raise your hand, it's on, um, on the PC, it is Alt-Y. Um, on the Mac, it is Command-Shift-Y. No, Option-Y. Option. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Um, and then on the, if you're calling in on the phone, it is Star-9. Nine. Nine. Mm -hmm. Star-9, nope. And then on the app, I have no idea. I forgot. It's, just on, app, it's right there. It's, it it's should right, be right there yeah, on your screen. Yeah. It should just say raise hand. Yep. We're using a web, since we're doing Zoom webinar. So, and if there's not, I, I have plenty more I can talk about. But I, <laughs> <laughs> you have lots. But I thought that maybe I would give an opportunity in case any chapters had any questions. So, um, Okay, so any? the first person we have up is um, Jordan. You should... Be allowed to talk there should be a pop-up asking you to unmute all right jordan hi jordan brandon you might want to work down to the next person in yeah. case yeah and get them going he's got it hello hi jordan oh, jordan do you have a question hi. so like um every so often you should do a phone call with your chapter members? It is my suggestion that, so, you know, when I think about 
engagement, it isn't just an email or a letter that I get in the mail that engages me, but it's actually talking with somebody and connecting with them. So I believe that a chapter should come up with a plan to make sure that their leadership is learning about and engaging with every member in that chapter. And that means, yes, picking up the phone and actually calling people and talking with them. And, you know, maybe it's just once a year that something like that is done uh, at that level. But maybe having set questions or statements that are being discussed with each person. So it might be thanking them for being a member. It might be asking them uh, if they have ideas for speakers or if they have anything they would like the chapter to cover. It might be asking them what's new in their life. I mean, it, it could or or it could be why haven't you, you know, been coming? We've missed you. That makes such a difference. So it's just making that connection. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Jordan. Do we have somebody else, Brandon? Oh, yeah. You have plenty. Okay. Good. (laughs) That's me, Linda. Hi, Linda. Hey, Cindy. It's Linda Porel. Hi. Um, I would love to know how the whole community call thing got off the ground and how how oh amazing goodness. it has been that it mushroomed a little history sure. of community calls would be great. Thank you. You bet. Yeah. And, you know, this is something you can do uh, and on the local level, state level. Uh, but anyway, it's become almost a full-time job for me, I will I will say. And, and I'm still doing other things as well. But... Oh. It started because on March 13th, I went home from work. (laughs) And on March 15th, a Sunday, I got a call from Eric, my boss, the executive director for ACB, who said, uh, we're going to be working from home. And so on that week, I set up two meetings, conference calls, For anybody that wanted to jump on them, it was sent to leadership, uh, the leadership email list for ACB, just inviting people. One was during the day and one was during the evening. And it was how to stay connected with our membership. Um, And the next, uh, and then that Friday, I wrote to the leadership list and said, hey, if anybody wants to include, you know, any kind of a community call, I'm going to put a list together. And so we probably had about five calls the next week and probably about seven the week after. And then all you know what broke loose. And uh, (laughs) it's been like a snowball and it's a big snowman now and it's going to be a snow castle and on and on and on. uh, Because, you know, we were doing 20 something uh, meetings in a week and now it's about 50 a week. And and. Uh, one of your chapters here in California is offering mm-hmm. uh, one of their social events on on Tuesdays and Thursdays as well. So we have some of our state affiliates have included uh, Oregon, Missouri, uh, and someone from Florida, and every so often Pennsylvania. They all do 
some sort of event. And then uh, special interest affiliates have been also. And now we also have committees that are. So several of the national committees are doing presentations. Uh, just before coming here, I came from a roundtable with ACB Radio. So a lot of the committees, special interest affiliates have jumped on. And one of, you know, in my opinion, I mean, BITS is so, so smart. They get publicized every single day. When I send out an email, they are on that schedule every single day. So everyone that reads the daily schedule, there's an email list and that people can subscribe to. And everybody that reads that daily schedule each morning, BITS is one of the uh, events on that schedule every single day. So that's, that's how it's happened. And it's, and, and probably the bigger part, actually, is that the community is driving this, this uh, whole thing. It's the people. The people want it. And, you know, I, somebody says, oh, what if we, do you think they'd be interested to do this, to present about this? And my answer to people is, if we build it, they will come. And I have not lied yet. Thank goodness. Uh, nobody is letting me down. So it's a need. It's And people want to stay connected. And that is what's happened. So thank you, Linda. You, you must welcome. be a Field of Dreams fan. <laughs> <laughs> you caught that? <laughs> All right. I did. Uh, do we have uh, – who's our next question? I think you said there were several. Who's our next one up, Brandon? Hi, guys. This is Olivia. Hi, Olivia. Finally, oh, I, had to, I had to change to my phone because when I tried to Alt-A on my computer, um, I don't have a, a camera on the That's computer. Okay. We're so, glad you made it. Okay. Yes. Um, Cindy, how can you, and I know this may be just a dumb question, but how can chapters try to avoid from getting into clicks because unfortunately that's just, you know, that happens. Sure. Doesn't matter I, where you're in. Yeah. I mean, how, does, how can we avoid we, that? Sometimes we call them clicks and, and those can be, um, that kind of is the negative word. And, but really it's friendships and relationships. Right. And so mm -hmm. I think that we need to be strategic and thoughtful about welcoming people and so when we decide to to put a plan into place we need to have everybody on board for it and so sometimes it's maybe asking that group of people hey save one every table must have one empty seat at it for somebody new I, that's just a suggestion uh, so or maybe it's having a team of people be the welcoming committee and and whoever is the leader that is selecting whoever's the president or the chair of that committee being thoughtful about who they're selecting and making sure that it's a you know a, a people from different groups within your chapter you're right mm -hmm. clicks are going mm -hmm. to happen i think we're we're all adults so we need to really just 
call it what it is and say we need to be more welcoming right are we as mm-hmm. welcoming as we want to be if if i came to this chapter and i knew nobody would i feel welcomed and mm-hmm. you know maybe we start mm-hmm. there and be honest with each other so, i think yeah. another thing we could do too is like um i know at my church you know we have greeters that well, well and that's what i Right, that's what yeah. I'm saying about yeah. a welcome welcoming committee. Yep. yep, and I love the phone call deal. Yeah, Perfect. I've done Thank that you. before in, in another in other you know venues, but good. That, that's a fabulous idea. And Sarah, sign me up. <laughs> you heard that. <laughs> Thank you, Olivia. Good. Thank you, Great Cindy. Question, Olivia. Thank you. All right, we've got a few more minutes, so we can take a couple more questions. Nikki, you are allowed to talk. There should be a pop-up asking you to unmute. Okay, thank you very much. Um, I, hearing this, I wanted to say very briefly that we've been doing chats in the San Francisco chapter, and they're absolutely wonderful. We're all getting to know each other much better, and it's just, it's really great. But the reason I'm calling is that I got an email this afternoon with a different link, which I followed, and I couldn't get into that program, but it did say that there was a group going on, and I wondered if you're missing some people, if they might be trying to get into that other group. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Nikki. We are aware of it, and we're working oh, on it. Okay, I'm remedying great. that. Thank you. Okay, that's it. All right, thank you. Is there anybody else, Brandon? Mm-hmm. Oh, you know it. Hmm? Did you say yes, Brandon? Yes. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Hi. Hi there, Cindy. The, the fifth uh, E is excellent. It's an excellent presentation. Thank you. What, oh, what I welcome. want to know is, oh, this is Nancy Unger. Uh-huh. Oh. And I need to know, is, 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 is sending an agenda very important and what, what would make the chapters more interesting and informative? Uh, if it's like, you know, speakers, projects. Sure. I hope this question is not redundant. Thank you very much. No, that's great. Perfect. Uh, do I think agendas are important? Yes, absolutely. An agenda, especially if you can send it out in advance of your meeting, puts everybody on equal playing field. It's really important that um, everyone feels like they are a part of the meeting. And so when you send, when the president sends out the agenda, then everybody knows what's going to happen at that meeting or is supposed to happen instead of just the president knowing what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I absolutely think an agenda is important. Another piece that's really important is that you make your that the agenda is realistic for the time that's allotted for your meeting and that there is that there maintains some control of the meeting and that any anything that is exercised in how a meeting is held is equally distributed amongst all members so you know we don't want to just allow one person to talk a second time but we don't let anybody else talk a second time for example or you know we let one person talk longer than maybe you know the rest if we want to implement um, some you know guidelines we want to make sure that we are equally distributing those guidelines and that everybody knows kind of the rules at hand that's important do I think other things like um, speakers having a speaker at your chapter meeting Great idea, brings variety. All business and no play is no fun. And people don't want to just come and listen to, 
blah, 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 right? I mean, you've got to keep your meeting interesting. So a lot of business can be uh, taken care of even outside of the meeting. So, you know, be thinking about that. Um, If you don't have somebody to invite to your meeting, maybe you have a member spotlight where you in advance of the meeting, ask one of your members to share about themselves so you can learn about your members. It's a great way to, one, make one of your members feel special and, two, for the membership to learn each other, learn about each other. So I think that that's an idea. And then projects drive engagement. So it could be a project like a you know, fundraiser for your chapter, or it could be a service project, bringing canned food in for the food bank or, you know, donations for some event at the holidays or what have you. Uh, Or it could be some social event like a game night or, you know, potluck or something. So definitely when we can engage all of the members and do something together, that builds camaraderie and you know, everybody wins. So thank you for that question. Thank you. Good question. All right. So and we're just like about we at the end. Out of time. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to so. say uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. And I am available to each and every one of you. Uh, I may not respond if all of you were to contact me. I may not be able to respond <laughs> as timely as I would like. But a great way to get a hold of me is at community at acb.org. So you can also reach me at chollis at acb.org. But community at acb.org is an easy email address. And I check that email often. And so if you want to be subscribed to our email list. And also I want to encourage you to join our Facebook group that we just started on Monday and have nearly 500 members on right now. And that's ACB community and is connected with our ACB Facebook uh, page as well. So uh, join our Facebook group, come on our community calls. And we're really glad that you as members of CCB are part of the ACB family and take part in our community. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you, Cindy. That was a lot of very good information. And thank you for sharing all of that and a lot of good questions, too. So thank you much. And uh, before we move on to our next item this evening, Lisa, or would you be available for a door prize? Sure. Oh, why, thank you. Can you hear me? We can hear you, yes. So, the number is 21. The winner is Carrie Carter. All right. And what did Carrie win? (laughs) She won a $25 Amazon gift card. All right. Back to you, Dave. Why, thank you, Lisa. Um, the next item up is something that we traditionally do every Friday night at our conventions. 
And that is a chance for remembrances of those who we have lost since the last convention. Um, so we have about an hour for this because I'm sure there's going to be several. And uh, we're not going to have a hard timeline, but um, because there are probably several that would like to speak, I'm going to ask to try to keep it to maybe three or four minutes per person. But um, if anyone would like to share a remembrance, then please raise your hand and, uh, and we'll have Brandon unmute you as we've been doing. Abe? Nope, I'm not being heard. Who's that? Oh, is that Rob? Oh, I am being heard. I, can't raise, being heard. My, I can't raise my hand because uh, I'm the host. But right. I do have a couple of our chapter members I'd like to recognize. We had Ruben Armenta. Uh, he died earlier this year. And he'd okay. attended a legislative seminar with us a few years ago. And then also we have another chapter member, Kathy Hogue, who had been a member for many years. And okay. uh, she'd had some health issues uh, for a while. And uh, so she just died very recently. So... Mm. That's uh, that's the two I wanted to uh, speak for. All right. Well, thank you for that. Okay. Um, Marker, you should be allowed to talk. There should be a pop-up asking you to unmute. Uh, can you hear me now? Yes, yeah, we, we can. can. Um, yes, I'm with the Yosemite Gateway chapter, and we lost one of our members last July, Ernest Bong, uh, to cancer. Unfortunately, it was actually very quick. So um, that way it was kind of good. I mean, it was kind of a shock until June. He told us he had, you know, whatever stage cancer. And in July, he passed away. But he was one of our founding members. And he'd been with our chapter since we first began and was always at every meeting and active. So we were very sad to lose him. So I just wanted to make sure we recognized him. Ernest Bong. Ernest Bong, all right. Thank you for that. Matthew, okay. you should be allowed to talk. There should be a pop-up asking you to unmute. Hi, guys. My name is Matthew. I'm from the Fresno chapter. I wanted to... Uh, we lost a member, Mary Smith, back in 2016. Um, I have moved here from Los Angeles to Fresno, and one of my favorite memories of Mary Smith was that she was very welcoming and very very friendly and very helpful toward me. Gabe, can I jump uh, in real quick to add on with Mary? Sure, go for it. Is that Sarah? All right. It is Sarah. Sorry, because uh, yeah, the same thing. I don't think Brandon's going to see my hand raised. Um, I just want to add That's to okay. what Matt had to, Matt had to say about Mary Smith. Uh, Mary Smith passed away last year. She was a member of UCB Fresno. And she was a super fun, quirky gal. And we share the fact that we like to eat Denny's spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> and and so uh, with after she passed away, a lot of us had spaghetti and meatballs um, the next meeting in honor of her. But Mary is very, very missed. Thanks, Gabe, for letting me pop in. You're welcome. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, Regina, you should be unmuted and allowed to talk. There should be a pop-up asking you to unmute. Oh, wait. 
Did that not work? There we go. Okay, there we go. Right. There we go. There's Regina. All right. Um, first, I'd like to remember uh, Cindy Coulter or Aguilar. Um, she passed away um, last year, and she was involved with membership. She was involved with the iOS coffee break that we hold to help people with technology and um she was just a warm and welcoming person and also uh we had ron bateman uh and he is a dodger fan which my husband (laughs) appreciates because we're in northern california for those that don't know so (laughs) dodger fans appreciate each other up here and also he was a just a kind wonderful person he was always there ready to to help and um a fun person that he was just um a really a good member to relate to and have in our chapter and then last but not least um he had been ill for quite some time so he had um, not attended meetings for a long time, but Arlie Trees was our treasurer for many, many years. Oh, right. Yeah, and he passed yeah. as well. So we it's it's been a challenging time for I'm tearing up a little. It's been a challenging time for our chapter, but um it's um well people transition and they go to a, a better place, I believe. So yeah. All right. Thanks for those, Regina. Jeremy Hill, you should be unmuted and allowed to talk. There should be a pop-up asking you to unmute. So my name is Jeremy Hill. I'm from the CCD Greater Long Beach chapter. And in December, um, we lost our secretary, Donna Lewis. Um, She was involved in you know, a lot of different um, other organizations, but she was loved by everybody in our chapter. And to speak of her influence, she actually brought in um, a lot of sighted individuals from her church and from her neighborhood to actually join our chapter. So um, she's greatly missed. And we had another passing um, in, I believe it was March, uh, a longtime member, Keith Black, passed away. Um so those those people will definitely be, be missing our chapter. All right, thank you for those. Um, Steve Bauer, you should be unmuted and allowed to talk. There should be a pop up asking you to unmute. Or not? Hang on. We'll figure this out eventually, right, Brandon? Literally, I love it. There we go. We're good. You should be un- allowed to talk. Steve, are you there? There should be a pop-up asking you to unmute. Okay. Uh, there you are, Steve. Did, okay. Can you hear me now? Yes. We can hear you now. Excellent. Okay. Sorry about that. I did it once, and then it uh, came back in as a pop-up, but... Uh, Greater LA chapter lost our member Tammy Lee last September. Um, 
Tammy was a very soft-spoken woman. Uh, once you were sitting at the table she was sitting at, you might not even know that she was there at the meeting, but once she became a friend, she was um, a real friend. Uh, she did many, many decades of volunteering at Braille Institute, teaching Braille, helping folks with Jumbo Braille especially, uh, and I, we will all miss her. She left us way too young, uh, in her 40s when she, she passed away. Thank you. Um, call in user three. You should be unmuted and allowed to talk. Call in user three. What that is is somebody who's just not showing a phone number on their phone. So. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, this is Bernice Kandarian. Is, is, uh, am I the one? <laughs> yeah, you're it, Bernice. Yep, we can hear you, Bernice. Okay. Well, uh, I, I'm going to take the opportunity to talk about two people. I wanted to comment about Keith Black. I want to share something that was very interesting. Um, uh, Keith Black went to the Idaho School for the Deaf and Blind. And that's where Roger went to school. But Keith was 12 years ahead of Roger, and so he never met him um, while he was in school. But when, he, when Roger was a little boy, his aunt worked at the county uh, and, and took Roger there to meet uh, the husband, blind husband and wife that ran the vending stand, and that was Keith Black's parents. And then um, when Roger moved to California with me, he um, met Ralph Black, who was Keith Black's son. And it was after that that he got to meet Keith Black. Um, Keith was really an amazing fellow. And, you know, he, he was very musical. He was a very good uh, rehab counselor. And uh, we, we do miss him terribly. And, you know, his wife, Joan Black, had died a few years ago, and she was a, one of the three founding members of the California Council of Citizens with Low Vision. Um, and, uh, of course, everybody knows about Kathy Skyvers. I only knew Kathy Skyvers for 46 years and five months. That wasn't long enough for me. I met her in 1973 in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I lived in Tempe, Arizona. But she always kept in touch with me. When I moved to California, it was always amazing all of the uh, all of the things we talked about and all of the things that we did. And um, uh, I, 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 you know, at least oh, all of the 33 years I've been here. She and Roger and I have been on the phone. We're on the phone at least three times a week. And um, we always had so many fun uh, times at events that she had at the uh, Lions Blind Center in Oakland. You know, she after the her, her event went in, you know, a, a, a dinner kind of thing, which always had more than 100 people attend, she'd start playing the piano. And one time um, her mother was there. And four of her sons were there. And her mother uh, started, uh, Kathy's mother started singing. And she was waving a scarf in the air and kicking her legs up. And we, I, I thought for sure she was going to start stripping. But um, 
what happened was the grand her grandsons were pounding on the table and like go grandma go and it was just it was always so much fun uh, with Kathy and and her and uh, before we lost her mother and 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 uh, with all of her her four sons so um, uh, I I you know I don't know how else I can. Um, it's hard. It's very hard to lose uh, so many people. There's only one in California. Well, there's two in California that were close to Kathy that are in their 90s, and we, we're, we'll lose them before too much longer, and that's, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a group of people that were really involved with the beginning of the organization and... Uh, uh, did a lot to uh, to bring us along. All right. Thanks for sharing all those, Bernice. Definitely some good memories there, huh? All right. You are unmuted and allowed to talk. Sounds like Vita. Hi, this is Vita Zaboli. Uh, I'm with the San Francisco chapter. And I want to talk about Terry Ann Straw, who passed away last August from complications um, and cancer. Terry Ann was a quiet and elegant woman with grace and style. She was an excellent listener and someone who spoke her mind with purpose, but without blame. She loved to travel, especially cruising, and she loved to dance. She owned a bed and breakfast um, in Nevada City with her now deceased husband, Steve, for a number of years. Through her love of knitting, she was dedicated to providing chemo caps for kids and adults in her local Kaiser facility. With her last guide dog, O'Toole, Terri Ann embarked on 32 cruises. While returning from Alaska on her last trip on the Grand Princess, Terry Ann with her partner, Tony Lewis, and Terry's family was invited to dine with the captain. At this auspicious event, the captain presented O'Toole with a bottle of champagne for his (laughs) 32 travels. And Terry Ann is survived by her two sons and several grandchildren. O'Toole is now 12 years old and happily enjoying his retired life in San Luis Obispo with Terry's son, Jeff. The San Francisco chapter misses Terry Ann's calm presence. She taught us that being strong does not mean being loud. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Vita. Um, Brandon, could you look and see who we have uh, as panelists? I understand there's a couple of panelists that probably have their hands raised. Yeah. You know, the panelists need to just go ahead and unmute themselves when 
and and just work themselves in between because it's pretty hard to watch both sides. I see yeah. okay. David's okay. David's yeah, so, hand has been up a really um, long time. I was going to say so. Let's uh, before we go to the next person that you have with their hand raised, Brandon. Uh, David, if you can unmute yourself, you should be able to unmute yourself. Yes, I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to talk uh, about Terry Straw. Vita, thank you very much for that elegant uh, speech uh, about Terry. Um, when I met Terry Straw, <clears throat> she was very um, she was a very friendly person, and I immediately recognized that she was easy to talk to, and she had a lot of energy, uh, and it was very evident that she was a good listener and she was listening to everything that I had to say. And I do miss her presence at our meetings. Um, so I just wanted to, to kind of um, reiterate uh, what Vita was talking about in terms of Terry's ability to listen and to uh, know that it, everything that a person was saying was extremely important. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, David. And Charlene on the panel side. Yes. I wanted to express my um, thoughts of Kathy Skyers because she was really a pillar to the both the uh, CCB and the ACB. And she brought so much to and contributed, contributed so much for the um, CCB that uh, she's one of our dear people that will always be remembered. Thank you. Thanks, Charlene. All right. Brandon, who do we have next? Yeah, sure. Um, Hi, oh, this is Christy. Oh, hi, Christy. Hopefully I'm we the one you were talking about. Oh, we we can hear you. So uh, sorry, probably <laughs> um, so. I just wanted to also mention Kathy Skyvers because without um, Kathy, the Ellen Murphy Fund would not have been what it what it what it is. And I just want to say that she has the biggest heart. Um, I I really grew to know and love Kathy and. Um, I just was amazed at her ability to relate with people and again, we'll miss her. Thank you. You sure will. This is Jeff. Should I go ahead or do you want me to wait till? Go ahead, Jeff. Okay. So this is Jeff Tom and I'll try and be quick about each of these three. Um, Ralph Black certainly was, I mean, Keith Black certainly was an amazing, um, an amazing person. I've heard some of I his. I hope we haven't lost Ralph. Uh, no, no, not yet. Um, <laughs> uh, I've heard some of Keith's um, music. Uh, he was in bands through the years. Um, and so uh, a very Renaissance type individual and passed some of that on to Ralph. Um, and he also passed his advocacy on to Ralph. He was involved in the Long Beach chapter, right? up till near the end and you know um although ralph was involved in a number of other things 
um, Ralph and his wife, Catherine Campisi, always um, took the time to help out the California Council of the Blind. And I know that um, Keith and Joan would be very proud of um, them for doing that. Um, I want to go on to Ron Bateman. Uh, Ron and I were very good friends um, over the years. And um, and it's been a tough loss for Connie, but, but you know, we're, she's, you know, doing well. And um, so I have to say that um, the one problem with Ron was that he was a Dodger fan. But, but I did buy a Dodger hat shortly before his death and wore it um, to visit Ron because in a salute to the only reason that I would ever wear such a thing um, was Ron. Um, uh, Ron was a great guy, loved to talk about anything. He was a super teacher, um, you know, a special education teacher and, and just loved kids. Um, and he loved just a lot of things, politics and sports. And, um, the other, the other thing he liked that I didn't like was USC as a Stanford guy that bothered me as well. So it's actually kind of amazing that Ron and I got along at all, but Ron was really just an amazing friend and I really do miss him. Um, and finally, with respect to Kathy, uh, you know, Kathy could be tough as nails when it came to making sure the organization got what it needed. Um, she was a fighter. She um, expected people to give their best because she certainly always gave 150%. I don't know how a person who is such an amazing family woman as she was with her real family could also have had the same level of commitment to CCB, but Kathy did it. And although she was tough as nails on, in one sense, as Christy said, she had an incredible heart. If you were truly needing something, um, you know, if, if someone had, had stole from you or, or you were down on your luck or whatever, Kathy would be there. Um, she was always there to help out the deafblind community in the Bay Area. I could go on and on, but I know I'm taking other people's time. And I won't, but, but Kathy was one of a kind. And the only thing I will end with is um, she was sharp right until the end. And the thing that she was want, wanted to talk about when I last talked with her less than a week before she died was, of course, what was going on with the California Council of the Blind and why weren't we doing more? So with that level of commitment, uh, you know, she's just was an impossible. She was a that irresistible force. So thank you. Uh, I'll mute myself. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, and this is Gabe. I'm going to jump in here and, and give one of my remembrances or tributes to Kathy is that Kathy Skivers is the one that started the weekly California Connection. And uh, I think she was the one that wrote it and recorded it for several years. And then uh, after she left the presidency and, and Jeff took over, I remember after a, a couple of years, she continued doing it. And then she decided she wanted to uh, retire from doing the California Connection. And, uh, and so Jeff did it for a little while. And then somehow or other, I ended up taking it over. And... Uh, 
I remember many conversations with Kathy surrounding that and uh, she would call me occasionally with items for the Bayview chapter to go in there. And uh, those were definitely some interesting conversations because generally they not only just covered the item that she wanted to put in there, but as Jeff said, she always had her thoughts on what the council should do. So I always wanted to make sure that uh, that I was aware of, of her thoughts on that. So um, I'll, I'll always remember Kathy for, for getting the, the California Connection started and, and having that weekly way of being able to share with folks. Uh, Brandon, who do we have next? Hello, you hear me now? Yes, we I hear can. you. Okay. Hi, it's Gail Cross, and I wanted to. This is just a little bit of a stretch because I don't know if she was actually a. She would have been an ACB member, not a CCB member, but she was most responsible for facilitating friendships among blind all over the country, and for that reason alone, she deserves honorable mention here. And that is the late Sharon Crunk, the wife of Dave Crunk, our travel agent, for so many years. She was, without a doubt, one of the kindest, most energetic people and in situations that you would not even expect. She could sort things out faster than even we knew there was a problem and straighten it out among people that didn't know each other, that had never seen each other before, and of course couldn't see each other anyway, as far as that goes. Um, and she was a wonderful compliment to, to Dave and to the whole the whole group and her courage at the end when she was so sick and still determined to go with us on that last the, the, the Terry Ann trip, if I recall, she was with us on that that one. Certainly, the last Alaska trip I made with them, and it was just a privilege and a pleasure to know her. And I think anybody that has known her over the years could certainly agree that she, if she wasn't a member in on paper, she was more than an honorary member of ACB, and that's for sure. All right, thanks, Gail. Who's next? They're not actually unmuted, um, Brandon. Oh, great. Oh. It happens. Okay, now I am. I'm yeah. close. There we go. Um, there you are. I, I heard everyone I heard everything else, but I guess I was muted. Um uh, my name is Nancy Unger and along with the wonderful members of the Ellen Murphy committee, um Kathy Skybers was very compassionate and kind when I really needed Ellen Murphy. And she was always easy to talk to and friendly. She even encouraged me to try to advocate more effectively for, for myself. I'm, I'm better with, about advocating for others than I am myself. And to this day, I still have some of those problems. But I just want to say she was very kind and compassionate, and she knew what she was doing. Thank you very much. Yes, she was. Thank you for that, Nancy. Okay, Stephanie, you are unmuted and allowed to talk. There should be a pop-up asking you to unmute. Hi, um, this is Stephanie Root from the East LA chapter. Uh, just two days ago, yesterday as a matter of fact, we lost a member who um, made it, uh, probably was a, a integral part of getting the East LA chapter associated with the Garcia family. Richard Garcia passed away at his home yesterday morning uh, from a massive heart attack. Mm -hmm. um, he used to drive his parents everywhere, and his mom, Virginia, uh, was one of the people who was uh, cooking for our chapter. When our chapter, many, many years ago, more than 45 years ago, 
was meeting at the Knights of Columbus or the gas company. And when the main person who was doing all the cooking uh, couldn't do it anymore, Virginia took it over. And at one point, um, because of um, finances and such for the public buildings we were meeting in, uh, it was no longer able for us to be meeting there. Um, the Garcias at that point said, well, why don't you guys come to our house? We won't have to transport the food and there'll be a, always be a meeting place for you. And from that time on, uh, we were uh, Virginia's blind people. And Richard was an integral part for setting up the meetings every month. He had a very interesting but warm sense of humor. He uh, was always there to assist people, to help. Um, he will be very much missed. Um, we will have more information on our East LA update line, uh, but the family will be doing a GoFundMe um, project uh, to help the family as uh, Richard had no um, plans or anything set up. And so they're going to be hurting for even just doing the basic funeral stuff. So uh, the East LA hotline will in the very near future have something up on it when we have more information. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks for sharing that, Stephanie. Who do we have next? Um, call in user one. You are allowed to talk. All right. Is someone on phone that had their hand raised that may have had a private number? Might it have been me? Yeah. Oh, sounds like you. And who is that? Uh, my name is Constance. I'm in the. I'm an alternate. Uh, board member at the Pasadena chapter. And when I was new to CCB, I heard about Kathy Stivers. I had a few conversations with her. And as others have said, found her both very dedicated to the CCB and compassionate toward me and toward everyone she knew. The thing that I remember her most about is that she was so dedicated to the history of CCB and of ACB. I don't know whether the book that she talked about was ever written about the history of ACB and CCB, but I know that that was a major project for her for quite a while. And that really impressed me that she wanted to have an accurate archive. So those were the two things, her compassion and her dedication to the blindness movement started by ACB and CCB. For sure. Thank you, Constance. Who do we have next? Thank you. Uh, Steve Mendelson here. Uh, I just want to add a, a couple of recollections about Kathy, two things that were very important and very impressive to me. Number one was uh, 
a tremendous support for the uh, impact litigation that we began in, in the mid-90s uh, with the uh, effort to achieve the accessibility of ATM machines. It was a very novel legal concept. Uh, no one had done anything like it before, and she was all she was all on board. She understood the importance of it. She lent her support to it in many many ways, uh, and her willingness to to take to take that chance was uh, was absolutely extraordinary. Uh, additionally, although I never had the opportunity to experience this personally, it is legendary. That is her skill with legislature with legislators, her ability to get legislation done, and her ability to. Um, move legislators in a very personal way. It's something that people in this day and age wouldn't understand because uh, the legislation, the legislature doesn't work the way it used to. But uh, her skill uh, uh, as uh, as an advocate, uh, as a as a lobbyist, through her ability to reach people personally and to combine ideas and substance with uh, charm and energy, were by all accounts absolutely extraordinary. All right. Thank you, Steve. Who's next up, Brandon? We were this is Patty. We were privileged to have Kathy and Bayview chapter, and after the initial first sadness and and shock of her death, I've been thinking about what I learned from Kathy. And if you think you can do it, you probably can. But if you mess up, make a mistake, keep going, and don't make the same mistake again. That if you're not in the majority, stand up for what you believe. If there's a job to be done, don't wait for someone else to do it. Get busy. I'm a valuable person with unique gifts to share that there's always work to be done and that there's always someone worse off than you are. Achieving your potential is one of the most worthwhile goals. I loved hearing her stories about attending the Missouri School for the Blind. I loved to share the music country, and she loved the Ames Brothers, and she loved uh, John Wayne movies and going to her house. And uh, she would she wouldn't ever let me bring a meal, but she insisted we have lunch and dinner. Toward the end of her life, I had the honor and privilege to really get to know her, and and Josie McDowell and I. And she helped decorate their Christmas tree the last Christmas she was alive. And her sons have given so much to our chapter, too, serving meals at picnics. And during this pandemic, Eric and Connie made sure I had one of the hard-to-find essentials. And Kathy became someone who was always in, who I always was in awe of and respected. But she became a close friend and finally a member of our family. I offer the challenge to carry on Kathy's legacy of working to continue upholding the goals of CCB and ACD and to make the lives of blind and visually impaired people of better and of all people in the world. She was generous and when she found a need, she made sure it was filled and she worked tirelessly until she attained her goal. Thank you. Thanks, Patty. Definitely some good good uh Good lessons there. Thank you. Thank you. This is Pam Pology, president of the San Gabriel Valley chapter. First of all, I wanted to, just for the record, Constance is one of our board members at large. She'd absolutely said alternate, and she's in our San Gabriel Valley chapter. Um, and she, uh, 
Jeff, I wanted to speak about Richard Garcia that Stephanie brought to our attention. This is the first I knew about it, so I'm a little bit in shock because I'm a member of East Los Angeles, too, secondarily. And it, what brings to mind is what Cindy was speaking about earlier in contacting members and keeping in communication. Um, when I went to Ohio back in 2013 for my aunt's 100th birthday celebration, I missed uh, a meeting for the East Los Angeles chapter. And a few days later, I got a call from Richard. Um, I had my phone forwarded to Ohio to myself, so he was able to reach me. And he said, well, we're very concerned because you, you never miss meetings. And we wanted to know if you're ill. So, you know, I told him where I was. But, you know, it's really kind when someone reaches out like that and notices when, when someone is not there. You know, it it, it, uh, it really speaks to what Cindy was speaking about. And Richard was always kind at his house, uh, making sure I had what I needed food-wise and drink-wise and always put on really good music when we were having our social time. And when I first went and didn't know very many people, he talked to me about how he was a crossing guard for the kids and really made me feel welcome and uh, at ease. And we're going to miss Richard. And I'm sorry to find out, but I'm glad that I I know now. But thank you for the time, Dave. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Pam. Okay, Margie, you should be allowed to uh, um, talk. You're unmuted. Yes, I can. Thank you, Brandon. This is Margie Donovan from the Capital Chapter. And, um, well, Gabe, you um, stole my thunder about the connection, but one of the things <laughs> about Kathy that is so dear, she always thought about members and their families. Didn't matter if I called for business or didn't matter if I called to check in. Well, first of all, when you call Kathy, expect to have a 30-minute conversation at least. And didn't matter how much business, you weren't going to get off that phone without her asking about my son or my grandchildren now. And she really had an interest in us as, as part of her family as well. And um, it, she's just a beautiful soul. And... You know, I remember when Kathy was walking and then she was in a wheelchair and nothing stopped that woman. She had a determination that just wouldn't stop her. And as, as one had said, you know, even on her deathbed, you know, until a few days before, she was still concerned about the council. Um, I want to also um, talk about Ron Bateman. Um, that's a huge loss for many of us up in the Sacramento area. I had the fortunate and the opportunity and the pleasure during our holiday party last December of sitting with Ron while his wife went to the party. And I figured that was the best gift I could give the chapter is let give Connie some respite. And it was a beautiful day with Ron. And to this day, I thank God every day that I had that day with him. I get emotional about it, but it's okay. Um, Ron would go lay down, I'd fix him some food. He'd come out and eat and go back and lay down. I'd fix him food. I'd check in with him every hour. And he came out and said he just wanted to sit down. And he opened a newspaper and fiddling around, peeling a tangerine or orange or something, and I'm making him some more food. 
Carly said he didn't eat, but let me tell you, that day he ate. Um, and I loved him. And what did he say? He goes, well, what do you think about Trump? <laughs> and I said, I didn't, I honestly didn't know Ron's side. And I said, I don't know if you really want to know Ron. <laughs> then he opened up and told me what he thought about Trump. And he thought exactly what I thought about Trump. <laughs> talked about the economy and it was just I'm, I'm so grateful that I got to spend you know the part of the last I think it was month of his life or last couple of weeks of his life with him and just connecting with him in a way that we really never connected before and I know before before I got there he was telling Connie I don't know how this is going to work out I just don't know <laughs> and it was a beautiful day for both of us and I know Connie's still in a lot of pain but we all know that Ron is in a much better place and they too shall meet again one day. Thank you. Thanks, Margie. Who's, who do we have next? This is Linda. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Wasn't sure you gave my digit, but hey. I don't. All right. I have, <laughs> have two things about um, Kathy, and they're both in the advocacy realm. The first is her utter and complete devotion to Braille. And, you know, no one, she and Winifred Downing were the twin pillars of devotion to Braille in my life in CCB, got me involved in the Braille Revival League. And on some deep level in my heart, I feel like, oh, no, you know, BRLC has gotten a little sleepy lately, but we just can't let it go because Kathy and Winifred are looking down, wanting us to keep it going and keep Braille alive. So thing about Braille, and the other one is, I would I was one of those people who would get so annoyed when she'd say, "Well, not everyone has computers, you know. Some of you know, many of our members, most of our members don't have computers." Yada yada yada, and I'm like, "Oh my God, really?" But even that aspect of Kathy, it's important to translate that into making and keeping the commitment to make sure that we are able to reach every member, no matter what their communication um, strategies are, the phone, braille, computers, no computers, whatever it is. We need to not keep any, leave anyone out. And Kathy was just so irritatingly good at reminding us that we had to do that. She was, wasn't she? Thank you for that. Who's up next? Brandon, Brandon, do you know about, or can you tell, do we have quite a few folks still with hands up? Yeah, we still do. Okay. Probably look maybe right. two, maybe possibly three. Okay, maybe we have another 15 minutes or so for sure on this. So, All right, who do we have next? Hi, this is Gene Lozano from the ACB Capital Chapter. Um, I, I won't take very long. I'll just make a few comments about a few individuals. Um, I want to add uh, um, to the comments regarding Ron Bateman, who 
was always there for the chapter, um, uh, volunteered um, willingly, and uh, always um, always was very considerate to people. I got to know Ron um, through the originally through the inner city outings. They component of these. Sierra Club in Sacramento that uh, had a component that worked with uh, blind and low vision adults and uh, going out and outdoors, um, and that included cross-country skiing. and And Ron was a driver, um, he uh, for transportation, and he also was a volunteer um, site guide on these trips. And he was a leader, and he some of the planning, um, and so it was very enjoyable to work with him in planning uh, various trips and uh, throughout the years and the logistics that would go into it. Um, and I believe that's where Ron and Connie actually met one another. Um, the um, Another member that uh, I lost contact with uh, 40 years ago, and I just heard about her passing, Terry Ann Strong. I knew Terry Ann um, when we both attended San Francisco State University as a, uh, when we were working on our uh, undergraduate degrees. And um, uh, we had a resource room or a room in the libraries there at the library at San Francisco State and um, where we had recording equipment. And that's where a lot of times our readers would come in and record. Um, it was always enjoyable to... Um, run into Terry Ann there and talk and, uh, about various issues and, um, and just uh, share personal things with one another. Um, very nice lady. Um, and I believe she was an employment specialist at one time at the California league for the blind and, uh, was very effective in finding placing people in uh, gainful employment. Um, and then, Kathy Skyvers, um, as many of you have heard, she she was one of the two people that was responsible for having gotten me into the organization in April of 1972. I had gone to the convention at the Wheaton Hotel in Oakland, and um, where I met her and the other person, Casey DeLint, who was the president of the organization at the time, uh, of the Associated Blind of California, and... Um, uh, Kathy just inspired me as a student um, looking for an organization to be involved with. And um, uh, by the end of the convention, uh, I was ready to join. And her, um, you know, she, she and Casey both said, you know, we really want you to join. Interested, but give yourself some time. And um, I told them, and they, you know, I, found, I did join then. And Kathy stayed in contact with me. Um, act as a mentor, and she was to all of us young people, students uh, in the California Alliance of Blind Students um, that Mac Riley had started the organization. But she was mentored us, um, helped us understand how to work within the organization, and uh, told us about the history of the organization. And said at the same time, we had a responsibility. Um, that um, after the there were pioneers uh, that had been ahead of her and she had learned from and she was you know ahead of us and that we needed to learn from uh, those that came ahead of us 
that broke, you know, broke some of the barriers. And, and in turn, as they did, we needed to turn around and give to others and, try, and be a mentor and not just keep the skills and knowledge that we learned to ourselves. We needed to share, and that was uh, one of the fundamental principles that I meant. I remember her stressing. Um, it was mentioned about her being hard nail at times, um, and I have to agree with that. I saw her in action sometimes negotiating uh, contracts with hotels. Um, she was a hard <laughs> negotiator and usually got her way on a lot of issues there. Um, and she was well-liked, I know, by staff at many of the hotels that when we would go back there, I mean, staff would hear that she was in the building and would come out to meet her, and um, uh, they never forgot her. And, and that's something I'll never forget, Kathy. And um, so thank you very much. Yeah. Good evening. Thanks, Gene. Um, Stephen, you are allowed to talk. There should be a pop-up asking you to unmute. And this appears to be the last one. All right. Thanks, Deb. Okay, there we go. Can you hear us? There you go. Yep, we can hear you. Okay, go ahead. Hi, this is um, Patty Aminal. I'm using my husband's Steve's computer. And I want to say a tribute to um, Richard also. At, in the East LA chapter, um, he used to always help me with my wheelchair that I have to have every so often. So, and he never complained, and I really appreciated that. And I, I love the whole family. Thank you. All right, thank you for that. And there's one more. Okay. Who do we have? Peter, you are allowed to talk. There should be a pop-up asking you to unmute. Thank you. This is Peter Pardini, and I wish I knew more about this person, but um, Mel Khan passed away. I think he was a member of the mm. um, Bayview chapter. Bayview chapter, yeah. I really don't know anything about him, but I just thought he, we, need, we should remember him. Yeah, thank you for that, Peter. Okay. Do we have anyone else with hands raised or anyone else on the panel that uh, would like to unmute and say anything? Gabe, this is Judy. I just yeah, want to say that we did, uh, Peter, uh, it, it would be so remiss, but we did, in fact, uh, have some, you know, some presentations about Mel at our last convention because he died just shortly before that. So we did, you know, we did, and I don't want you to think that we wouldn't remember such an important person. Thanks, Judy, for reminding us of that. Yeah, you're right. We definitely don't want to don't want to overlook anyone this here. All right. Do we have any more hands up? Yeah. 
I'm sorry, Brennan, did we have anyone, any more hands up? We do, yes. Give me one moment. Okay. Well, I was just, uh, Steve, I was just going to say what Judy said, uh, that we had uh, fortunately remembered Mel, and uh, he's a person eminently worth remembering, and uh, I'm great, very grateful we had that chance last year, and it's bringing him up again, Peter. All right. Thank you, guys. This is always... Uh... Brandon, do we have anyone else up? We do. Okay. Yes, uh, this is Ralph Black, uh, and uh, my wife, Catherine Campisi, is here with me. And uh, I wanted to thank uh, Jeff and Bernice and others that uh, spoke about my dad. He was uh, Keith Black. He was very uh, dedicated to CCB and uh, to advocacy for uh, the blind and other people with disabilities, and uh, certainly served as a great role model for me, both in terms of uh, advocacy, but also uh, passing on to me a lot of what he learned about how to function as a blind person as we've been going through uh, all of the uh, things at his house. I find everything neatly labeled in Braille, and it reminds me uh, uh, of how important Braille was to him and to me and uh, how I should uh, be as organized as he was. And I also wanted to um, uh, put in a word about Kathy Skyvers. I had known her for a long time, but a few years ago I had the opportunity to work with her um, a little bit on um, some issues related to a presentation that uh, I did with Roger on the history of the organized blind movement. And she sent me two or three tapes full of all kind of information about the history of CCB, um, many things that I had not been aware of. So that was uh, very helpful to me and very interesting. Catherine, you want to Yeah, I, this is Catherine Campisi, Ralph's wife. And um, uh, just a couple comments. First of all, I wanted to comment about Kathy Skyvers uh, because I served as a director of the Department of Rehabilitation from 2000 to 2007. And in 2000, uh, is when uh, there was an organization called Blind Advocates for Rehabilitation Change, and it was CCB, NFB, and other the, uh, agencies and everybody united that they wanted to see some changes at the Department of Rehabilitation. And um, I think uh, Steve remarked that she was a consummate advocate with the legislature, which she was. She got John Burton, who at the time was the Speaker of the Senate, to sponsor a bill and... Um, uh, we did a lot of negotiating, uh, and it didn't end up with a separate commission, but we did end up with a, a, a structure where blind counselors reported directly to their own supervisors, not to general supervisors, and uh, we created units of blind counselors, and therefore it was much better to be able to do training for specialized training and smaller groups of people and also supervisors who only supervised counselors for the blind and so in the end it was a, a win-win for all of us but we had some hard negotiating days but out of all that and uh you know sometimes some pretty healthy uh disagreements over things but Kathy and I became good friends and uh we're both from the midwest originally and uh we really we really got to be very good friends through that and had 
tremendous beyond respect liking for each other. So I don't know if the younger folks can realize uh, what a fabulous consummate advocate and spokesperson she was. Just as everybody said, uh, first of all, uh, tireless, never would end. Uh, always came to Sacramento for many, many meetings and just uh, dogged and smart and uh, and charming but tough in her advocacy in the legislature. So uh, it, always, it was great to work with her. And then uh, in terms of Keith, who was my father-in-law, I can assure all of you that, as Ralph said, he was um, a, another advocate for Braille, always uh, so independent. Oh, my goodness. You know, as a young man, was a mobility instructor for the blind in Colorado and just fiercely independent into uh, into as he entered into his 90s still. And um, I can also assure you that during the years that I was uh, rehab director, uh, him being a rehab counselor for the blind, uh, he never ended his advocacy, even at family <laughs> gatherings, I assure you. So uh, he was, a, I loved him very much and also respected him just tremendously in terms of his dedication to making things a, a better place for blind individuals and other disabled individuals. So those are my comments. I'll always remember Kathy. I hope we can do something in person in the coming months because she was just a phenomenal advocate and leader in California um, for the blind and for all people with disabilities. So thank you. Right. Thanks to both of you for those. Um, and we are at 740, so I think we're going to stop this here. This session is always... One of those that to me is also bittersweet because it's uh, you know, sad that we've lost those folks, but it was great to to hear the tributes and and remember remember what they've done. So thank you everybody for sharing those. Um, What do you say before we go to our next speaker that we do one more door prize? Lisa, are you available for that? I am available. All right. Who is our lucky number? The lucky number is 150, which is Paul Patchy Sr. Paul Patchy, all right. Congratulations, Paul. All right. And so next up on our agenda tonight, um, you may have heard of this person. She has uh, spoken to us a couple of times. She's helped to, helped to guide us through several things the last few years. It is our president, Judy Wilkinson. Judy, would you, if you're muted, would you unmute yourself? No, I, I'm, thank you so much, Gabe. You can hear me, right? We can hear you, yes. Okay. So Good I will evening. turn it over to you to speak for a while and you know, let people not hear from me for a bit. Well, thank you again, Gabe. And I, I've been so moved by all the remarks that people have made about those we've lost in the last year. There's nothing more important than our history and those who, uh, have shared it with us. Good evening, CCB members and friends, those assembled here in our Zoom room and those joining us far and wide on ECB radio. 
Our convention theme is CCB's 2020 vision for the future. Well, my mind's eye definitely has 2020 vision as I picture myself and fellow officers sitting at the head table with members, colleagues, and friends scattered throughout the ballroom. We all look forward to the day when we can physically be together again. But meanwhile, there are advantages to these virtual events. For one thing, at our virtual awards banquet tomorrow, we don't have to eat a set predictable meal, half of which we don't like and half of which we can't cut with the dull knives they provide us. And we don't have to get dressed up. The meeting space may be virtual, but my thanks are very real. There are more people to thank than I possibly have time to mention. To highlight just a few, I could never have gotten through these past four years without the wise counsel and institutional memory from Jeff Tom, our immediate past president. And can any of us imagine a time BL before Lisa? Lisa Thomas, our indefatigable treasurer, has brought our records and financial management practices up to the highest non-profit <clears throat> non sector standard. And how can I thank our technical operations group, the TOG, led by Vita Zavoli and Phil Obregon, which has put our organization accessi accessibly online and brought us into the computer age while recognizing and respecting the fact that not all our members possess high-level technolo technology skills. Thanks to all our other hardworking committees whose day-to-day -day efforts move this organization forward. I wish I could single out every board member I've worked with for the specific acknowledgments each of you deserves and for the contributions in time talent and treasure each of you has made, and perhaps most of all, for your unwavering commitment to civil discourse and quality respect and mutual respect, even in the face of contentious and momentous decisions. You have upheld the best traditions of openness and fairness that will always remain the hallmark of our organization. Please join me in thanking these dedicated, conscientious board members and trust them to represent your best interests in the future as they have striven to do in the past. Nicole Pacheco, our operations manager, joined CCB only three years ago, but her thorough record keeping, her willingness and ability to learn new skills, including how to create Braille documents, and her responsiveness to the myriad requests that people, so many people make of her, have made her a mainstay of our organization. Thank you so much, Nicole. And of course, I can't forget Wireless Caller, AKA Gabe Griffith, who will succeed me as president tomorrow, unless he thinks better of it in time. For the past two years, he has phoned every Sunday evening to help formulate our plans for the week. 
he has assumed ever-increasing responsibilities, taking more and more of the burden off of my shoulders. Capping a lifetime of service to CCB, it has been my honor, and yes, my burden, to serve as your president. This is the fourth time I have come before you to give an annual report of our work, a sort of CCB State of the Union message. Because I cannot possibly cover all I wish to tonight, I invite you to read my article in the summer 2020 issue of The Blind Californian, where I review recurring themes over the 10 years I wrote columns, six as its editor and four as your president. Often been asked, how many hours does being president really take? After all, Jeff did it for 10 years while holding down his full time job at the Capitol, and Gabe faces the same challenge. You know, it's not that this job is literally a full time, 40 hour a week endeavor. No, it's the unexpected early morning call from someone on the East Coast who forgot the time difference. It's the crisis flare-ups requiring immediate decision or action all too often without time for adequate consultation. It's the poignant call from the woman in Florida a few days ago seeking help for a blind man whose family turned him out into the COVID-infested Los Angeles streets. Or someone seeking service for her friend needing after-school care for her eight-year-old blind child. It's the angry caller who never would consider joining a blindness organization, who nonetheless indignantly demands orientation and mobility services from us. It's the hurtful posting of an embarrassing private message by a disgruntled member to our public list. It's the destructive use of Facebook to complain about a CCB matter better handled within the CCB family. It's facing a serious allegation that the accuser wasn't willing to back up with evidence. My ability to concentrate on my CCB work suffered for months as a result of that incident. These have been years of challenge and change, years of success and failure, and years that bridge two generations of leaders. The challenges come as no, no surprise to most of us. Finances, membership, modernization, outreach, and prioritization of resources, to name the most familiar. But we face compelling new challenges as well, challenges of inclusion that call upon us to incorporate diverse perspectives, needs, and identities into our work and mission, challenges that test our ability to adapt the grassroots democratic strategy traditions of a member-controlled organization to the technological, economic, professionalized leadership, and legal demands of today. Internal organizational issues may seem boring or remote, but without 
the coordinated work of many people, no modern organization can hope to accomplish very much. Let's turn first to the thorniest challenge, that of putting CCB on a sound financial footing, or put it more simply, getting the money. Our financial situation was dire when I took office, and sadly, it remains so now. For over two years now, most of us have taken no money for our CCB expenses. Driven in equal measure by desperation and creativity, we have undertaken a number of fundraising initiatives, regrettably without the desired results thus far. When we hired a CEO in September 2016, it was largely with the goal of pursuing grant opportunities and other fundraising endeavors. Until Paul Shane's departure in 2018, we bore the cost of his full-time position, but without the hoped-for return on investment. One major takeaway from this effort is the realization that grants, though seeming a logical source of funding, are a very mixed blessing. Our first successful grant was for a Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, CFPB, and FDIC Summit and curriculum to, form, to inform our members how to better manage their finances and become more knowledgeable consumers of financial services. We met our obligation under the grant by distributing materials and holding a workshop during convention. Worthwhile work, to be sure, but carrying no financial gain for the organization. We spent a huge amount of time developing a 500-page grant application to the State Department of Rehabilitation for funds under the Older Individuals Who Are Blind, OIB program, an effort in which we did not prevail. We received a VISTA grant allowing us to fund three positions, but were prevented by the rules of the program from recruiting from outside the pool of VISTA volunteers or from taking the time needed to advertise the position widely in the blindness community. We outfitted three employees with computers and software, but they didn't work out. Taking into account the time spent on preparing the application, on training, and on technology, the effort cost us a great deal of money while yielding no benefit to our membership. We finally hit the jackpot at the end of 2018 when we received an Energy Upgrade California EUC grant to educate our population and other disabled and senior communities about the state's time of use program for saving money on the cost of gas and electricity. The grant enabled us to hire the talented James Collins, who hit the ground running when our first outreach officer quit after just three months. Because of further delays in funding cycles, we are still struggling until the next cycle begins. So in the end, we came to understand that grants and service contracts 
do not generally contribute to long-term financial stabilization, and while allowing us to do some useful work, often require recipients to alter their focus and priorities to fit the requirements of the funder. However, the search for grant funding had two incalculable benefits. We shortened our mission statement to increase the independence and equality for all Californians who are blind or low vision. That fits nicely into a 30 second elevator pitch. In March of 2017, the board adopted our case for support. Why do I mention these underfunding? Because a clear mission statement and compelling case for support explain who we are, what we do, and why anyone should support us financially. Such a document is indispensable for fundraising efforts in the modern nonprofit world. In 2017, for the first time ever, the board was obliged to request funds from our endowment, the Newell Perry Trust. Necessity has forced us to withdraw further funds from the trust in the following two years. And sadly, the fund will soon be reduced to its corpus if nothing changes. In the interim, we have tried a number of other fundraising ideas a comedy club and silent auction, canes across California, fireworks sales, the dining in the dark, a delightful event, which I hope we can bring back when possible, but which in its initial iteration brought in little profit. Our single greatest loss outside the grant field involved the 2018 Major Gifts Ramp Up, MGRU, campaign undertaken with Disability Systems, Inc., DSI. The idea was deceptively, not to say beguilingly simple, using various databases to identify a cohort of wealthy people in the Sacramento area, then reaching out to and engaging them through a structured series of steps culminating in the recruitment and engagement of new and influential supporters. Without going into all the details, it is enough to say that the effort did not work and we had to pull the plug on the campaign and on our relationship with DSI. Here again though, something of value did emerge from the rubble. Our streamlined case for support with its 10 identified CCB wins since our founding in 1934, and our four action goals for CCB. Based in large part on this work, and thanks to the hard work of our publications committee led by Linda Perrell, we were able in 2018 and again in 2019 to send appeal letters to our entire contact list and plans are underway for this year's campaign. It is difficult to determine how much of what people donate to CCB is directly attributable to this effort. But indications are that it is enough to warrant continuation. In September of 2019, we held our first telephonic auction modeled on those 
conducted by ACB. With heartening support from our chapters, members, and friends who donated or purchased items and services, we generated respectable profits of around $8,500, while also, we believe, generating a heightened level of engagement and awareness among our constituency. This year's auction is scheduled for September 20th, and despite hard times, we feel optimistic that we will certainly add to CCB coffers. Tomorrow, beginning our afternoon session, Patrick Netter, CEO of On The Move, together with CCB board member Steve Bauer, will officially launch our partnership with On The Move. Manufacturer of two exciting mini treadmills, we believe will prove of great value to the blindness community and that we hope will generate ongoing revenue for CCB. We have been working with these great folks since early in my term. Naturally, we had hoped to be further along with the project by now, but there have been predictable and unpredictable delays but you will soon be able to order your own. Really, really. Finally, in regard to fundraising, although you will understand why I can't go into detail, CCB is the co-beneficiary of, of a substantial trust left by a recently deceased longtime and much respected member. The trust is being challenged by a, dis, a, a, a disappointed family member, but our council is strongly of the belief that our prospects are good for ultimately receiving the funds our late member and friend wanted us to have. The next broad area I want to touch upon is what I call bringing CCB into the 21st century. Statewide grassroots organizations like ours with a decentralized local chapter-based structure allowing considerable autonomy to the local groups and with much statewide uh, decision-making authority reserved to the membership in annual convention is not ideally situated to compete for funding in the modern world or even to easily comply with the multitude of reporting and documentary requirements of the nonprofit world. We've gone a long way though, adopting a number of policies, including gift acceptance, travel and mileage, overtime, volunteer, member information, privacy, and others. We adopt an employee handbook, Beginning the standardization of chapter and special, special interest affiliate reporting and accountability practices, such as officer information sheets, roster maintenance procedures, and so much more. But there is still much more to do, including the completion of sexual harassment policies and implement and implicit bias prevention strategies, implementation of parallel policies at chapter level to those developed for the state organization, expanded use of the AMS, AMMS system to reach out to recently lapsed members, completion of a 
comprehensive members only website area. When several board members first attended a workshop put on by NANO, the National Association of Nonprofit Organizations and Executives, we purchased what I still think is a valuable database with all kinds of reference resources such as board evaluation instruments, models for developing strategic plans, and so much more. And yes, that infamous donor base for the entire for the entire country. Returning to a key area of communications, our website, like most websites, is an ever-evolving reflection of our needs and capacities, as well as increasingly of legal requirements. The site has been totally modernized with the help of Webmaster Erlene Hughes and the continued dedication and skill of the Todd. Progress will continue and a secure members area where we can post sensitive documents, allow members to pay dues, file documents, download data, and so much more. But the world of paper still exists. We finally have been able to throw out those old rubber band burned stacks of out-of-date one-page flyers. With the development thanks once again to our publications committee, of our new large postcard-sized flyer. We still need a revised trifold-type brochure. Handouts work, as James Collins, our EUC educational officer, can attest as he hands them out at events he attends on our behalf. And if we could only have everything in Spanish, oh, what a brave new world. Our crowning achievement in governance is the adoption by this convention last year, after two years of hard work and a failed vote in 2018 of new bylaws. Bylaws without which we couldn't conduct official business, such as voting at this convention. So far as we know, CCB is the only ACB affiliate to incorporate the option for conducting business. We are dealing with bylaws changes this weekend and future tweaking will obviously be necessary. Overlapping with fundraising and governance categories is another key innovation. Paul Shane taught us the importance of tracking our volunteer hours. Paul's data collection allowed us to estimate that in 2018, our members contributed $1.4 million at a value of about 24 per hour worth of volunteer time. For donors eager to assess member support and engagement as a measure of organizational worth or who require in-kind contributions, such data are of immense and largely undertapped value. <clears throat> now the only trick is to get members and chapters to capture those data and maintain and maintain reliable records. If only to honor the work of our members, we must never overlook this most vivid evidence of your enduring commitment. 
In terms of streamlining procedures, we have made initial steps toward a master calendar. No need to wonder when the next board meeting happens every second Thursday. President's calls, fourth Mondays. Ultimately, we'd love to include recurring chapter events. We never again want to miss Greater Los Angeles' baseball-themed event. Third Saturday in October? In my mind, a related area which desperately needs work is managing and keeping good records. The most reliable records we have are those under Nicole's care. She can pull up former exhibitor and sponsorship packets, old officer information sheets, chapter tax forms, and so much more so we can revise and update without reinventing the wheel. Our treasurer, Lisa Thomas, has spent literally hundreds of hours untangling our financial records. Slowly but surely, she is bringing order from chaos. We save hundreds of dollars a year because Lisa provides accounting activities we once paid for. When records are well kept, amazing things can be accomplished. For example, Nicole has used the AMMS system, which goes back to 2014, to determine which members did not renew membership across several years. Where are chapter charters and constitutions? We don't know. Who have we given awards to? Other than Hall of Famers, and even that information isn't up to date, we don't have that information where it belongs, on our website. What about board and committee minutes? For instance, we need a single list of all board motions so we can go to one place to determine, without difficulty, what we did when. Two other areas of concern have undergone change and rethinking in the past few years, the annual convention and the council office. I cannot imagine how we ever managed to prepare for two in-person conventions a year. Organizing one, even before the pandemic, has become a year-round project. In November of 2016, Jean Lozano, our longtime convention coordinator prepared a comprehensive report on conventions based on extensive input from our members. Now, in addition to a full-time convention committee, we have convention budget and post-convention profit loss analysis. I am proud of the sponsorships I have brought in some $15,000 last year. Still, a lot of time has been spent scrambling for a hotel for 2019 after the Rancho Cordova Marriott bailed on us. To consider future in-person conventions, we must balance overall cost, food and beverage minimums, facility adequacy, transportation costs and accessibility, and compliance with ADA and state accessibility requirements. We look forward to a time when we can combine the best of virtual and in-person meetings to engage, inform, and energize the broadest range of our members. 
Continuing the subject of in-person gatherings, in 2018, we conducted two regional meetings in Southern California and the Fresno area. Based upon the positive response to those events, we spent a lot of time anticipating the possibility of holding several linked regional events as an alternative to meeting in a single statewide convention location. Intervening events forced us to move quickly to this year's virtual convention, but again, the, the things we learn will not be lost. Rob Turner has taken the lead in dragging us many kicking and screaming onto the Zoom platform. And it is no exaggeration to say that without Rob, this moment wouldn't be happening. We are using Zoom's webinar feature with its more advanced tools, and I hope we purchase it in the future. Yes, Virginia, there will always be a Zoom room. The council office has always held a special place in the hearts of our members. It was a place which people could visit, a source of assembling for print-related issues, a source of consultation and sharing on any number of subjects. In 2017, when our downtown lease ended, the board, conduct, the board confronted a classic conundrum. Should we move to an office that was maximally accessible to public transit? or to a less expensive, but less transportation-friendly location in what many considered a more attractive neighborhood. This provoked one of the most heated debates and one of the most closely con uh, contested votes of my tenure. Having opted for the more convenient office, we have nevertheless been able to cut costs since by moving to a smaller suite in the same complex. But when our lease is up in three years, we should revisit the whole concept of an organizational office. In addition, we have begun implementing a rotational phone answering system whereby different members can answer the phones during times when Nicole, our one employee, is engaged in other matters that demand her full attention or is out of the office on business. We need to make more consistent use of this mechanism and the extensive resource guide which that team has developed. Now, if we could only get a decent physical phone system in the office. Amidst all this streamlining, one, Streamlining, one form of diminution we distinctly do not like is our decline in membership, which now stands at around 600. As evidenced by her presentation earlier this evening, Cindy's energy and enthusiasm are inspiring. I love her four E's, embrace, engage, empower, and effort. Because of better record keeping, we hope to improve member retention, especially under the guidance of our new membership committee chair, Guillermo Robles, who conducted such a fine virtual first-timers event on June 1st. Retention and recruitment 
are, of course, two sides of the same coin. We've lost chapters, Compton, Solano, San Diego, and soon we must deal with others currently missing in action or on life support. But at the same time, the CCB family does have a new affiliate, the California Alliance on Aging for Vision Loss, C-A-A-B-L. Congratulations to Frank Welty, Bob Acosta, and all who have been involved in the amazingly rapid scaling up of this vibrant new affiliate. Also, while not an official affiliate, our diabetics group, the idea of which was so dear to the heart of our beloved Ken Metz, meets monthly. If adversity furnishes the occasion for resilience, the debacle of our major gifts ramp up campaign offered another superb illustration. I don't know what I would have done without 2019's nine-member Phoenix Committee, appointed to chart our future course, a committee which worked hard to envision a path forward for CCB. With sober realism, with respect for history, and with openness to the future, the Phoenix Committee charted the way to many of the initiatives currently defining our course and, and marking our, our revival. One cost-saving strategy where we're reluctantly forced to adopt in 2019 was suspension of Braille and large print publication of our quarterly magazine, The Blind Californian. Ably and conscientiously edited by Mike Keithley and assistant editor Susan Glass, the BC continues to be published in an electronic version, and it is our hope to, re to resume its production in other formats as soon as possible. However, there will be a special issue of the BC available in Braille and large print for $20 to commemorate the life and unequaled accomplishments and contributions of our beloved Kathy Skyvers. I know Mike will include some of your heartfelt and heart-filled comments from this evening. Saving the best for last, our advocacy work remains as it has always been, our proudest achievement as well as our raison d'etre. In the legislative realm and increasingly in the administrative and judicial arenas as well, CCB has continued to punch far above its weight on behalf of its members and all Californians who are blind or low vision. During my term, we have worked in partnership with the California Foundation for Independent Living, CFIL, on successful structured negotiations with Airbnb to ensure that, that its lodging resources will be available on terms of equality to guide dog users and persons with mobility disabilities, and to ensure that its website and host to guest communications modalities will be accessible. Jeff sits at the table on Governor Newsom's 
long-term care task force, part of the governor's broader initiative on aging, which addresses the state's approach to understanding and meeting the needs of its growing senior population. At the invitation of Brian Bashan, CEO of San Francisco Lighthouse, we have had preliminary discussions interrupted by the pandemic about joint efforts among California, about California advocacy groups and service agencies aimed at securing state funding to help replace the resources lost to community-based services through elimination of non-vocational funding under the Federal Rehabilitation Act. Tomorrow, note our resolution in this area. We have worked to expand and ensure the reliability and quality of audio description in movie theaters such as those in the AMC chain and our ongoing case with the Palladio Cinema Group. We have worked to expand voting uh, accessibility in Alameda and San Mateo counties as we, as we learned this afternoon during Paul Spencer's presentation, we've made great advances in terms of accessible voting. We provided key input about autonomous vehicles, AV, accessibility rules, development for the California Public Utilities Commission, CPUC, and have been kept constantly informed and very much in the mix by Gene Lozano's non Gene Lozano's monitoring and advocacy on transportation and infrastructure regulations, and more recently on national parks reservation systems accessibility. In the impact litigation arena, we're still negotiating with the invaluable assistance of our public interest legal counsel on the Hinkle versus California Department of Health Care services case seeking to obtain accessible documentation. We heard a little about this this afternoon from Sean. Above all else, in the advocacy arena, we must be inspired by the impact we continue to have in the legislature. We were instrumental in sunsetting the useless and burdensome California guide dog board, an almost unheard of success in the annals of bureaucracy where boards and agencies drift on in perpetuity. Through two key pieces of legislation, our guide dogs and their handlers are better protected against economic loss due to attack. In the educational context, legislation promoted by CCB has expanded and clarified the availability of O&M services to students and has given districts and individual teachers more authority and discretion to incorporate the extended core curriculum, ECC, into the range of special education services available to blind and low vision students. And bearing in mind, that the greatest advocacy sometimes consists in what is prevented. There are those bad bills that we have helped to make less bad 
or persuaded legislators not to adopt. In all of this, Jeff Tom's singular skill and unparalleled experience in the legislative branch has been instrumental. And his role in the modern history of our civil rights cannot be overstated. He is ably assisted by our strong governmental affairs committee, co-chaired by Alice Turner and Artis Bazin. That committee will soon embark on training by Jeff to further serve our community in this all-important arena. I have characterized my administration as providing a bridge between generations. I represent the last leadership from the post-war or so-called baby boom generation. Now with the accession of people like Gabe and Sarah, the proverbial torch is being passed to a new generation from leaders in their 60s and 70s to those in their 30s and 40s. In view of the old battles still to be won and the new struggles yet to be fought, it is time that this should be so. Old ideas should be revisited and new ones tried. For all of us, regardless of age and whether we are worn down or invigorated by challenges, one overarching fact irrefutably binds us together spanning the generation. If there were no CCB, somebody would have to invent it. Let me express two final thank yous. First, my sweetie. Steve has been my rock every day for the past four years. He has contributed his time, talent, and our treasure to me and to the organization. In closing then, I thank you, our CCB community, from the bottom of my heart, for the opportunity to serve this organization and our cause. And as immediate past president, I pledge to do whatever I can to advance our goals. So this is thank you, but not goodbye. Thank you, Judy, for that. Uh, that definitely puts into perspective everything we've been through in the last several years. And we have uh, definitely been lucky to have you at our helm through all of that. And uh, are you are you sure you don't want to run for another term? I can I can still <laughs> catch a red eye flight later tonight. Yeah, right. <laughs> So thank Steve, you. Do we for, have a president's door prize? I, I was just going to ask you if you wanted to do one of those. Yes, let's have a president's I, door I prize. I think we Steve. shall. Steve My Andy, number Steve hasn't Andy. been called yet. He's <laughs> candy. All right, Lisa, are you there? I'm here. You're there. And right. the lucky number is 94, which is Kevin Burfery. Kevin, all right. Okay. So Judy would be in touch. And uh, you know, I don't think we've done too many door prizes yet tonight. Should we do one more? Should we do one of our 
25 dollars let's do it mm-hmm. and the winner of the next door prize is 144 which is patricia amanoff all right we heard from patricia a little earlier this evening All right, and we'll probably do another door prize or so before we close. But uh, now, if we can get him to unmute, we heard his name mentioned a few times during Judy's remarks. I would like to bring on Jeff Tom to share with us some information about legislative issues and what's going on. Okay, Jeff, thank you, you Gabe. Muted? You are. Right there you are. So you know, I used to have. I used to have to follow Donna, who gave these great um, sets of remarks, and and now I had to follow Judy. Well, I don't know why I can't go first and you know sort of get the bar lowered so they can you know surpass it rather than having to you know go in this order. But I'll do the best I can. Um, I'm going to skip just a little because of some of the remarks that, that Judy made, and because I know you don't want to hear me talk too awful long. Um, what a year this has been for the world and for CCB. Totally unique in, I'm sure, all of our lifetimes. Uh, let's start last year. Of course, the governor signed AB 1869, strengthening laws against pet owners whose dogs attack service animals. And the advocacy really was outstanding on the part of Golden State Guide Dog Handlers. And they really did the heavy lifting on it. And I know there's more to do, um, but but we will certainly accomplish it, I'm sure, because uh, you know, with, with the passion and the ability that those folks have brought to the table, uh, I don't see why we won't succeed. And, and when, it, when the time is right, we'll strike. Let me talk briefly about AB 947, which was our special education bill. This was truly a unique partnership between CCB and the special education field. And it, it's a type of partnership that um, produces the best possible results um, for our advocacy efforts. Um, it, it, it created a situation where we were able to come together on um, what the law was on which we should be advocating and bring together a, a lot of folks who would provide that the advocacy efforts when it came to going to the legislature and telling them how important it was. So with the, with the uh, authorship of Assemblymember Quirk Silva, we got this bill passed. It has done an enormous amount in terms of reducing restrictions on orientation and mobility instructors who who previous to this bill were being dramatically precluded from being able to provide orientation and mobility instruction at the necessary levels that their students needed. And as Judy also said, um, the other thing the bill did is it placed into state law the expanded core curriculum, or ECC, which is a group of skills that sighted children can acquire from the world around them, but for which our kids need classroom training to obtain. These skills not only include traditional things like 
orientation mobility and the learning of braille, which are required to be provided, but also a number of other things like daily living skills, social skills, concept development, technology instruction, and more. We didn't get all we wanted. We didn't get a requirement that mandates school districts must uh, consider these things in the uh, IEP process. But we did get into the law the uh, permissibility for districts to provide these services if they want to. So we're going to have to go back to the legislature and get the rest of the apple. We want it so that every blind and low vision student has the opportunity to receive the services they need. And um, we, we did lose a tremendous asset early this year when um, Sylvia Reese moved on to do other things, who was working with me. And I want to thank Sylvia for her fine work uh, last year, and she will definitely be missed. However, as um, was mentioned by Judy briefly, we do have some folks who are stepping up to the plate. Our two governmental affairs chairs, Alice Herner and Artis Bazin, along with my chapter president, uh, Regina Brink. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be starting to train them shortly after convention on certain things, uh, some of the databases and other skill sets that they'll need to be able to do more and to give us a larger um, advocacy presence uh, in Sacramento, e- either remotely or in person. So I want to thank those folks, and I think that's really going to help us in the years to come. Then, of course, uh, we came last fall to the governor's executive order for a master plan on aging. And that plan, as you know, was also intended to detail programs and services for persons with disabilities. This plan, which is still due by October 2020, although I can envision the possibility of the date being delayed as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, is intended to formulate a blueprint for the next decade and even longer for how California should look with respect to the lives of seniors and persons with disabilities. Um, I tried, as did the whole blind community, unsuccessfully to be appointed to the governor's advisory committee on the master plan. However, um, with some help from others, I did receive an appointment to the Long-Term Care Services and Supports Advisory Subcommittee um, on the master plan. And I was the only member of our community to be appointed to that committee. And I feel very honored to have received that appointment because we absolutely needed a voice, I think. Um, And I want to talk about, for those of you who have not uh, read The Blind Californian, uh, this will be new, I want to talk about um, a little little bit about the lessons that I learned from being on this subcommittee. Uh, We we completed a report in March and amended it slightly before its release in May due to lessons learned as as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Perhaps the biggest lesson I learned from our discussions, although it shouldn't have surprised me at all, was just how little the aging field knows and understands about the needs of seniors 
and others with vision loss and how large the scope of that unmet need has become. In my view, we have had to expend so much time working for our specialized services that we have failed to be as active and diligent as we need to be in educating the public generally and the aging community specifically about the problems and service needs of our blindness community. I frequently had to provide input to the subcommittee on service gaps and areas of discrimination that I thought would have been more well-known already. However, I was working from an almost empty slate, so it, give, it did give me an opportunity to do some really much needed education. The subcommittee report contained dozens of recommendations concerning the realm of services and supports for seniors and persons with disabilities. And we did have some moderate success insofar as recommendations were included. For example, without any prompting from me, United Domestic Workers introduced a recommendation for reader services under the In-Home Supportive Services Program, an extension of our work with this organization on a bill that was vetoed by the governor a few years ago. We also had a strong recommendation about accessible technology, as well as some great language concerning establishing a fund for social and other services for underserved populations. Although I would have preferred a specific reference to persons with vision loss, but you can't get everything you want. We were very successful in terms of a recommendation to address the need for programmatic changes in nursing facilities to make the services they provide more accessible to residents with vision loss. I hope that as other elements of the master plan come together to address not only these areas, but things such as workforce development, transportation, and mental health, that the blind community can continue to find ways of being at the table and having our point of view respected and reflected in the final report. I call on advocates and providers alike in the blindness field to not just become more vocal, but to work more closely with the movers and shakers in the field of services and supports for seniors and persons with disabilities. And then, of course, came the coronavirus. And at that, as we all know, changed the world. And of course, government, like most of society, shut down most of its functions. Most people have received, and others will be receiving, stimulus checks from the federal government. The legislature was off for a couple months. And when it came back, it decided to dramatically cut back on the number of hearings that it held and bills that it considered. In a positive vein, perhaps anyway, it decided to have some of its hearings with public comment over the telephone. I was wondering whether it will do similar things in the future because this did enfranchise some folks who otherwise would never have been able to attend a legislative hearing and gave them an opportunity to testify. But the big elephant in the room for state and local government will be the deficit created by the pandemic and the recession that occurred because of it. 
There were, for example, unexpected expenses due to the pandemic itself. But even more concerning is the huge but unknown level of revenue decreases due to both sales and income taxes. With respect to income taxes, which are due in July, we will begin to learn how deep the revenue losses will be in a month or so. The extent to which the economy turns around will also be an important factor. In addition, the federal government's response to the needs of state and local government will be another key in determining the level of necessary expenditure reductions in California. The federal response has two major elements. In the short term, what kind of compromise, if any, will Congress reach with respect to the proposed HEROES Act or other stimulus efforts? In the long term, however, there may be larger concerns. Um, in the next few years, will the federal government begin to cut back on some of the stimulus monies that state and local governments are currently receiving and may receive in the next few months? That is really likely, and it could affect areas from health and social services to housing and transportation. With all of this uncertainty, as we speak, the legislature and the governor are trying to reach agreement on a budget for the 2021 fiscal year. And they must accomplish this, this under our constitution by July 1st. Governor proposed a number of cuts in the health and social services area, which would only have been stopped if the federal government in very short order adopted or sent to California sufficient funds to preclude the cuts. The legislature has rejected this approach and is seeking to have those cuts come into effect only if the federal government later this year doesn't provide the state with any money. So it gives more time for, for the federal government to act. We don't know what the compromise will be. We don't know what programs will be completely cut or eliminated. Um, so they may be making a deal this very moment uh, in the dark rooms with where, where there used to be cigarette smoke and now there's probably not. Uh, but uh, they're, they're coming together to try and reach some kind of an agreement. There are, however, two bright spots in the budget battle insofar as people with vision impairments are concerned. First, the allocation of $500,000 to the Braille Institute looks like it will be retained in the budget. That is a great win. It was eliminated last year. And although we weren't able to get all the money we would like to have received for both the Braille Institute and the Braille and Talking Book Library in Sacramento, the fact that we've gotten this $500,000 back is a beginning. Secondly, due to a fight between the governor who wants to eliminate and defund certain home and community-based programs for seniors and persons with disabilities, and the legislature who wants to retain them, the governor has proposed that the budget contain a new Medi-Cal budget, uh, excuse me, a new Medi-Cal benefit that if passed may enable services provided by our private agencies in California serving people who are blind or have low vision to be funded through Medi-Cal. 
we have a lot of questions about what this program will actually do. And next week, I hope to begin to learn some of the answers from the governor and legislative leaders. But I am certainly hopeful, at least, that this may be a way that we can begin funding some of our services um, that are currently not covered because of restrictions for the use of Department of Rehabilitation funds for Medi-Cal recipients. More later on that possibility. The final seminal event of 2020, so far at least, has been the tragic deaths of George Floyd and several other African Americans, and the subsequent wave of protest around the country and the world that at long last may signal the beginning of real change towards social and racial justice. And in that respect, happy Juneteenth Day to everyone. This movement is having a major impact on all of American society, and we in CCB must realize that this impact extends to our advocacy efforts as well. Ideas surrounding what is referred to as intersectionality, meaning the connectedness among groups facing the gamut of social issues, has been an important topic of discussion for a number of years, but it is now at the forefront of advocacy efforts for persons with disabilities as well as other populations. When we examine our advocacy efforts, we must be sure to look at them through the lens of other important segments of our community, including communities of color, women, the LGBTQI community, and others. I think this will ultimately enhance our ability to change the world in ways that will help not only those populations, but people who are blind or who have low vision. Remember, but just as we need to use a wide lens in our advocacy perspective, the lens that others must use will also include people of vision loss and those with other disabilities. For this and many other reasons, I believe 2020 is a time of potentially enormous change throughout the world. We in the California Council of the Blind have perhaps an unprecedented opportunity through education and advocacy to change the minds of the public and of decision makers concerning the issues facing our community. Let's get a seat at the front of the train before it leaves the station without us. Thank you very much. Gabe, were you there? Yep, I'm here. Sorry, okay. I missed you. All right. Um, do you want to take a couple of questions? We might have a minute or two for a couple. Sure. If people have questions, I'm happy to take them. All right. If there's anyone, like yes, I said, we have time for a um, question or two. So if we can have some, have folks raise their hands. Uh, uh, Jeff, thank you for that uh, very impressive uh, uh, summary. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about how uh, our traditional advocacy efforts and goals 
can incorporate uh, the new uh, social justice and racial justice issues that have come, much, that come so much to the form, uh, and, and how we can amalgamate uh, our traditional issues and these critical new issues into our work. Well, I think we have to look at it in two perspectives. Number one, we because we no longer have our affiliate um, in that arena, I think we need to get internally back to having either a committee or affiliate who can um, bring us, um, who can get us to understand the issues and the positions we need to take. And secondly, when we... Um, take a look at any advocacy issue that is coming before us, we need to look and see if particular sub-segments of our population have certain issues that must be addressed. And I don't think that we have um, always done this. And so we're going to have to be more conscientious about, you know, looking at, you know, the fact that, for example, um, it's pretty well documented that um, amongst the LGBTQ senior population, there is a great deal of isolation and depression. Um, you know, folks that are often, uh, had often been part of couples are no longer. Um, we need to examine to see that our um, senior population um, among the LGBT community are getting the mental health needs met that they might have. And I don't know that we've looked at that before. Um, you know, and, and there are similar issues, you know, among other subsegments of our community. So, you know, we, we just need to do a better job of analysis and advocacy. Thank you. Right. Do we have another question? Sorry, hang on. No problem. Come on, don't let Jeff off that easy. <laughs> um, Sheila, you are allowed to talk. You are unmuted. No, she's actually not. Oh, wait. Okay, I just need to hit the spacebar hard enough. Yeah, I think you should hit enter. Nope, I actually have to hit a button on my phone. Yeah, you had to. Here. Yes, you did, but he, we needed to also. <laughs> I see. Um, thanks, Jeff, for that. Um, I haven't been keeping up with the state legislation all that much of, of the CCB, but I am very concerned. First of all, I was just while Steve and you were talking and I, I want to echo um, Steve's thoughts too. Um, I was thinking, I think I only know like four or five people of color, maybe six well, okay. I was, I was counting, I was counting black folks. I was thinking of black lives matter and I was doing that. If I, if I count, um, Brown, then maybe I can put a couple more, but, um, I don't, we definitely need to figure out how to reach out to that community or those communities. Um, but I'm deeply, you're definitely right. No deep Thank you. Sorry. Go on. I'm deeply concerned with this um, Medi-Cal thing. I understand that you don't know much about it yet and that no one does, but um, I've been doing a lot of studying lately 
of folks in nursing homes. I have chosen fam who is in a nursing home right now in Lake County. And not everyone in a nursing home is over the age of 55. There are many who are under that for various reasons. And um, what concerns me, and I'm probably not going to be popular for this, but I've taken bullets before, um, is that folks who are in nursing homes and folks who need money follows the person person funding, which, by the way, is not a, a guaranteed thing. We keep extending it, but we haven't actually codified it forever. Um, are, if, if we don't, if they don't get what they need, their lives could be in danger. And largely black and brown folks are in these nursing homes getting hit with COVID now. And I've got one right across the street from me. I'm just, it, it, I think that vision services are important, but I think that lives are more important. Check. Well, there's no question about it. The, the nursing home industry has needed reform for decades. You have um, these owners making millions of dollars and paying their uh, workers at minimum wage. And most of them come from other countries and, you know, they and they make next to nothing and they are treated that they very poor working conditions. And that just filters down to the services that are received by the, you know, nursing home residents because they are unskilled. They don't have the education and they aren't going to invest in them to give them the education that they need to, to nor do they provide the best facilities. So, you know, the, the nursing home industry is, uh, yes, it is not um, just a blindness issue. And that's why. The California Council of the Blind is the only blindness organization in the long-term care services and supports coalition. And that's why we sign on to a number of um, pieces of legislation, including legislation to not eliminate some of the programs that the governor has sought to eliminate. Um, but we still must um, try to put in an or with respect to our folks that are in these facilities because Sheila, no one else does. The, 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 the understanding that nursing home reform is necessary has been there for a long, long time. Getting it done is the problem because of the clout the industry has in the legislature, even among Democrats. But we as a blindness organization have to, because no one else will speak to our issues unless we educate them. All right. Thank you for those questions and answers. And uh, I think we are going to have to cut it off there because we are almost at the end of our evening. So thank you, Jeff, for all of that. And uh, definitely gives us a good idea of where we are and I think what we uh, what work we have to do here yet. So thank you. Um, at this point, Lisa, would you like to come on and draw a door prize for us? Of course I so will. We'll do, we'll do a $25, another $25 door prize here. 
Okay. And the lucky number is 119, which is Martin Jones. Martin Jones, all right. Congratulations, Martin. And uh, we'll do one more door prize here in just a moment. But before we do that, I do want to let folks know that there was a bit of confusion earlier of sending out the Zoom information again. Um, it, uh, what you received, I think, around 5 this evening was the Zoom info that is going to be used for our hospitality time tomorrow evening around 7. But then there has been another email that was sent out with the uh, correct information for the Zoom line that or Zoom info that we'll be using tomorrow morning at uh, 9 o'clock we open. Uh, 9 a.m. Pacific time, and that will be the session where we hold our elections. And then also we'll have our afternoon session at 1, where we'll <laughs> have our minutes and uh, treasures report and, uh, uh, my mind is blanking, awards ceremonies. So please join us for those tomorrow. And before... Before we close, um, Lisa, can we draw a $50 door prize to close our evening? I think that's a good idea. All right. And the lucky number is 100, which is Linda O'Neill. Linda O'Neill, all right. $50 door prize. Very cool. So, Unless, uh, unless Judy has any other announcement, I think that closes us for our second session of our convention. No, Gabe, I don't have anything else except to let people know you can come into the, uh, you know, the Zoom room opens. Uh, you can, you'll be sort of silent on your, you know, your phone, but you can come in a few minutes early because I know I get nervous and thinking, oh my gosh. Am I going to get in? Am I going to miss stuff? So you can come a little early if you like. For sure. All right. So again, we start at uh, 9 a.m. And uh, you're welcome to join us a few minutes before that. And we hope to see everybody in the morning. Thank you. And we are now in recess. <laughs>